0: The reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 2 and that's on page 58 of your uh, pew bibles. The birth of Moses. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child she hid him for three months but when she could hide him no longer she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labour. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you kill the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to rule their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds, he even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Rael asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man, who gave his daughter Siborah to Moses in marriage. Sibora gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, "I have become a foreigner in a land in a for- sorry. I have become a foreigner in a foreign land." During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob.
1: Can I encourage you to turn back to Exodus chapter 2 that you'll find on page 58 of the Pew Bibles, and we're going to think about this chapter together, and before we go any further, we're going to pray, so let's pray. Father, we come now to turn to your word, and this is your word, and we give you thanks for it, and so our prayer is that this time will be about G. Father, show us more of you, we pray, and to you be all the glory. Amen. Everyone loves a story about a hero. Those action-packed Hollywood films. And for a good hero story, they normally start off with a humble beginning. They face some difficulties Then there's a worthy rescue of a person or people in need, and it all builds to a climax as the hero defeats a villain. We're studying together in our new morning series, the book of Exodus, and today as we come to chapter 2, we find a people in need of a hero. We find a people in need of deliverance, a people in need of rescue. We began our series last week looking at chapter 1, and we saw how the happy situation that ended, that brought the book of Genesis to an end, changed very quickly in the first few verses of Exodus. Centuries had passed since Jacob and his family of 70 had moved down to Egypt. And while the Israelites had been fruitful, they had multiplied, they had filled the land, there had been a change in the government and the leadership. There was a new pharaoh who didn't remember Joseph or Jacob or anything that had gone before. This new pharaoh looked at the Israelites as a threat to his power. And so this pharaoh wanted to destroy the Israelites. And so he came up with a plan. Firstly, he was going to force them all into slave labor but even through this hardship, they continued to grow and to flourish. And so then he makes the decision that all of the Israelite boys are to be drowned. He thinks that's one way in which the people will come to an end. And so chapter one, we have this bleak picture for Israel. It's a situation which God's people need it delivered from. It's a situation that needed a hero, and maybe that's what we're going to find as we turn now to chapter 2. Because as we turn to chapter 2, you can see so easily why so many films have been made about the book of Exodus. We start out now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Firstly, we want to think how in these first 10 verses, we see that Moses was delivered from death and adopted into the palace. Moses was delivered from death and adopted into the palace. Chapter 1, we're left with this picture of the state of the nation. But then at the beginning of chapter 2 we zoom right in. From thinking about the nation as a whole we zoom down to focus on one family. We have a normal scene, it's a wedding. A man from the tribe of Levi marries a Levite woman and they have children. This Levite woman we're told gives birth to a boy but there can be no joy, there can be no rejoicing there can be no celebration because the Pharaoh has given the order that every Israelite boy is to be killed. And so this family make a decision. They're going to try and keep their child safe. They want to hide him, and they're able to do it for three months, Scripture tells us. But what a three months that must have been, constantly fearing that someone would make him cry, that a noise would be heard. Eventually, the child's mother reaches the point where there's no other option but to take him and hide him among the reeds by the riverbank. Look at verse 3. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. Pharaoh wanted to get rid of the people of Israel by drowning the baby boys in the Nile. And here we have a baby boy that's saved by being put into the Nile, hope from death. This child is put into a basket. And if you're reading the King James Version or in the NIV, you'll look beside the word basket and there's a little letter and it'll take you down to the footnote at the bottom. And it says that another word for this is ark. And when we hear the word ark, it immediately takes us back to Genesis chapter 6. And surely there's a deliberate connection being made here. That just like in the story of Noah and the ark, how God used a great big ark to bring eight people and a whole lot of animals to survive a flood and saving his people, now God has a tiny little ark for one baby that's going to save his people. But I think it's also important that we stop at this point, and when we think about Moses, what we're going to find and what we're going to see is how many ways Moses points us forward to Christ. What we're going to see time and time again as we work through the book of Exodus is how much it takes us to Christ, how many similarities there are, how many things are pointing us forward. We know the story of Moses. We know what's going to happen. But Moses is pointing us forward to the one true deliverer and saviour. Pharaoh wanted all of the Israelite boys to be killed. And it's his own daughter who comes across a baby in a basket and decides that she wants to adopt him. But being a princess, She might have liked the child, but she didn't want to have to deal with any of the dirty nappies or the sleepless nights. But there's this young Israelite girl, and she's there, and she just happens to be there, and she just happens to know this Hebrew mother who'd be willing to look after this child for the princess. Moses was born into a situation where his life was heading in one direction— and that was to be murdered by Pharaoh's soldiers. But miraculously, he ends up being adopted into Pharaoh's own family. Miraculously, he spends his first years being looked after by his own mother. Let's not miss how miraculous and massive this is. Moses, whose life was heading in one direction... Well, God brought it about about so that he ended up being looked after. Pharaoh was paying Moses' own mother to look after him whenever Pharaoh had the death threat on this child's head. It's showing us how God is in complete control. Not only does he spare Moses' life, but he provides for him through Pharaoh paying for and keeping and raising this child. This child who will be the one who will lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. So what this does is, as followers of God, it reminds us that there's no situation happening in our lives today that's outside of God's control. There's nothing taking place in our lives today that is outside of God's control. Situations may seem impossible. Difficulties may be staring us in the face. Paths may be looking so hard to walk down, but God is in control. And what does He do? He calls us to trust Him the way a desperate mother once did when she put her child in a basket and entrusted it to the God who saves. Then secondly, we move on to another scene, and we see how Moses seeks to deliver his people but ends up fleeing to a foreign land, and that takes us from verses 11 to 15. Moses is seeking to deliver his people, but ends up fleeing to a foreign land. This is the point if you're watching the movie, the caption comes up on the screen and says, 20, 30 years later. We've jumped ahead into our next scene, and Moses, in spite of having grown up within the royal household, identifies with his own people. He refers to the Israelites in verse 11 as his own people. And so maybe we're at this point in the story and we think maybe Moses is the solution. He comes from the palace, he's power, and clearly from verse 11, he cares about his people. He cares what's happening to them. But then he decides to take matters into his own hands. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Moses looks at what's happening. He wants to defend his people. He has compassion. He feels that a wrong is being done. And he thinks that this is the only way to correct it. We know where this story is going. Moses is going to eventually deliver the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. But that's going to be achieved through God's power, not human endeavor. Moses looked this way and that. He thought nobody saw what he did. But then his own people. Look in verse 14 how the Israelites respond. Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? They turn to Moses and say, Who are you to help us? What are you going to do? Are you going to kill me the way you did that Egyptian? And I think what this shows us is that the Israelites had accepted what was happening. They'd accepted the status quo. In the New Testament, in Acts chapter seven and verse 25, we're told that Moses thought the Israelites would understand why he did what he did, but they didn't. And so we're getting a picture here into the mindset of the Israelites. We're not meant to think that Moses killing this man was the right thing to do, because he was doing it in his strength. He was doing what he thought was best, not what God thought was best. But what we're being shown here about the Israelites is that they were oppressed. They were under slavery. They were crying out for a hero. They were crying out for deliverance. They were crying out for rescue. And then here comes Moses, and in a small way, They get deliverance from one Egyptian. And yet they turn to him and say, who are you? What can you do for us? Well, in the Bible, we're told that we're in an even worse situation than the Israelites. In the Bible, we're told that we are in slavery, not to some human boss, but we're told that we are in slavery to sin. For many of us today, we think that we live in an age where there's more freedom than ever. We can do what we want. We can be who we want to be. And yet whenever we stop and we look within our own hearts, whenever we stop and we look within ourselves, because we know ourselves, we know the sin that was within us. We know that we need a rescuer. And yet, for so many of us, we turn to Christ, the one who can deliver us from sin, and we say, we don't need you. For so many of us, we miss the fact that Christ has come to deliver us from our sin. The Israelites couldn't see What God was going to do through Moses. Are you missing what Christ can do for you today? Then, thirdly, verses 16 to 22, we see Moses' deliverance of a Midianite woman, Moses' deliverance of a group of Midianite women. He's killed this Egyptian. His own people have turned against him. Pharaoh, we're told in verse 15, wants to kill him. And so he has no other option but to run. Can you imagine the lifestyle that Moses had been living? Living with the Pharaoh in this palace. Servants, slaves aplenty. Anything he ever could have wanted. And yet he rejected the privileges of Egypt in order to identify himself with his own people. And there's a challenge in that for us too because God calls us to identify with his people even when it causes pain and persecution. And so Moses has to flee. He runs away. He heads to the desert. He heads to Midian, This time, he rescues some women from shepherds, and he gets a wife in the process. And this deliverance, even though it's small, it offers here a picture of the deliverance that is going to come. Moses' deliverance of these group of Midianite women anticipates the deliverance of God's people. Moses becomes part of the family. He becomes part of life there. He has a wife. He has children. And maybe he thought this was the way it was going to be. But the time in Midian is a time when Moses is being prepared for the rescue that God's going to bring about. He spends 40 years in Midian. But his heart still lies with his people back in Egypt. Look at verse 22. The name he gives his child I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. So even after all these years, Moses does come to the point where he realizes that there's something more, that God is going to use him yet for deliverance of his people. Becoming a shepherd was no doubt never part of Moses' career plan. When he was back as prince of Egypt, He never thought that he would spend his days, spend years, spend decades in this lowly job. But God used this experience to prepare him for his life's work. In order for for God to prepare Moses for what lay ahead, it was necessary for Moses to go out into the wilderness and take care of sheep. James Boyce put it this way, God can teach us through the failure of our own plans that He's capable of working for us and in us, in spite of us. Only after we fail do we become aware that it is God and not ourselves who is working. Only after we feel do we become aware that it is God and not ourselves who is working. Whatever our present situation, we should try to learn what God is trying to teach us in the midst of it. For many of us here this morning, we may not be doing what we want to be doing in life. We may not be living where we want to be living, but Scripture reminds us that God is using it all for our good and for His glory. And that brings us to our final scene and our final point this morning from verses 23 to 25. God is the true deliverer. At the end of Exodus chapter 2, the scene once again shifts. This time we've gone from Midian and we've left Moses back to Egypt, where the Hebrews were still in slavery. Forty years of suffering has taken place between verses 22 and 23. And what are we told? During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Moses in Midian is no doubt wondering what is happening. Look at the years that have passed, and he's out in the desert. But imagine how the Israelites felt. Year after year after year, toiling away under the hot desert sun. Building monuments, building buildings for Pharaoh. They must have felt that God had abandoned them. No power, no property, no prestige. Their suffering was so great that it was all they could do to cry out to God. And what are we told? God hears the groanings of his people and he remembers his promises. God hadn't forgotten about his promises, but this was now the time to act. Think about it this way. It's no accident Moses ended up being put in the river and discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. It's no accident that Moses grew up inside Pharaoh's palace. It's no accident that Moses fled to the desert. Moses needed to learn that he didn't have the resources to rescue his people, even if his instinct was right. Moses needed to learn to trust in God and to remember that God was in control and he had a plan. When we look at Exodus 2, we could very quickly come to the conclusion that it's a chapter talking about the absence of God, that it's a chapter showing us what happens when God forgets and whenever God's plans go wrong. But when we study the text, we very quickly see that God never, ever abandoned his people. God never turned a blind eye to their suffering, never forgot his promises. For the average Israelite, they would not see evidence of God's rescue plan for many years to come. But we know that God was at work. And what we also know is that God is still at work in the lives of his people today. Verse 25 in the ESV version puts it this way, and I love this. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God saw, God heard, God remembered his covenant, and God knew. I don't know what suffering you're going through today. I don't know how long it's been going on for or how long it will last. I don't know all that God is doing or why the situation that maybe you've been pleading and crying out to God for years hasn't changed. But what I know, what we know, what Scripture tells us is that God knows. When we cry out to God day after day, year after year, when we cry out to God for a lifetime, when we wonder where He is, when we wonder what He's doing, when we wonder why He hasn't acted, He knows and He hasn't forgotten. God hasn't missed our prayers, He hasn't closed His eyes, He hasn't stopped His ears. He knows. So whatever situation we find ourselves in this morning, we need to act, believe, and we need to know that God knows. God is faithful to His promises. God is faithful to His people. We know how this story ends. We know what will happen to God's people. We're able to see how things turned out for the people of Israel, and we can learn from them. We're able to see how God has acted in history to bring about his promises to make them happen. In the time of Exodus, in chapter 2 here, the people were wanting to know, will God keep his word? Maybe you want to know that this morning. Will God keep his word? God cared for his people then. God delivered his people. God rescued his people. What about today? What about me? What about now? well, there is no question. What there is, is the fact that God has kept his word. What there is, is the fact that God is the deliverer. God is the hero. God is the one who sent his son to deliver us. Christ who left the glory of heaven to come and dwell amongst us. Christ who was born with a death sentence upon his head, who grew up and was rejected by his own people. But through his death, he saved God's people. Jesus died to rescue us, to deliver us. Slaves to sin, enemies of God. And we can become sons in his family at the very expense of God the Son dying on the cross. Does anyone care? Does anyone care about me? Does anyone care about you? God cares. He sees. He remembers. He hears and He knows. The people were crying out for rescue. The people were crying out for a hero, crying out for a deliverer. God's going to use Moses to rescue the Israelites, but it's God who will deliver them. It's God who's the hero. Exodus chapter 2, God turning things around against all the odds. God who knows. God who's in control. And so we need to trust God even when we don't see what he's up to. Nothing can separate us from God when we are His children. He's the God who remembers, the God who sees, the God who hears, the God who knows. He's the deliverer. He is our hero. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you do know. Father, you know us. You know the state of our hearts. You know our relationship with you. You know if we're in slavery to sin or if we're your children. You know what situations we're facing in our life. You know what difficulties we've been through. You know what difficulties lie ahead. And so, Father, we give you thanks that you do know that you are in control, that you remember, you hear, you see, that you are our deliverer. Father, may each of us know what it means in our lives to trust you, to live for you, the God who knows. And we ask it in your name. Amen. And now to him who's able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.